What is resettlement? Basically, I think it's kind of like winning the lottery. This is Refugee Resettlement 101, hosted by Fafo Institute for Labor and Social Research. Hi and welcome everyone to our third episode. This is Aisha Bilgehan Avdar and today's episode will cover an interview with a wonderful guest. Ali Muhammad is here with us today to answer my questions about how resettlement works, what uh, the process is like and more. Ali has settled in Norway with resettlement activity and we are here to learn our topic from the first-hand information. Uh, my dear guest Ali Muhammad, welcome to our podcast. I want to know more about you, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, uh, can you tell us who Ali is, please? Uh, thank you very much for your introduction and thanks for having me. My uh, name is uh, Ali Mohammed. I'm uh, 40 years old, uh, originally from Somalia, uh, married uh, with two kids, uh, a boy and a girl. Uh, my son will turn nine uh, next week and my daughter, she's six. Uh, and I have been living in Norway for the past 11 years as a resettled Uh, refugee. That's great and uh, thank you for your introduction to yourself <laughs> and I want to actually go dive into the questions because we have a little time. You know like we are here to talk about resettlement and I want to ask you if can you take us to the story of how you ended up living here? Um, I, I was reading all your questions and uh, sometimes I kind of like get an impression that uh, it wasn't plain uh, uh, sailing. I think when you're a refugee, you don't have any idea. Maybe you have an idea when you start, but you don't have any idea where you're going to end up and all these kind of things. So I was a boat refugee. I left my country in summer uh, 06 because uh, of political reasons that I don't really want to go in. So I went to Ethiopia, which is uh, the neighboring country, and uh, and everything was okay. I think we uh, kind of like share so many things, so it wasn't a big deal, even though I didn't have papers or anything. And then I found some friends who were going to Libya, and we decided to go to Sudan, And our first attempt didn't work because basically we didn't have a visa, we didn't have any document, and we were stopped at the border and and mm-hmm. sent back. Uh, and then I succeeded with my second attempt. When you're a refugee, people kind of like use uh, human smugglers. It's not you don't go and buy a ticket and insurance, travel insurance, and then know when you will arrive and all these kind of things. So we decided to use a human. Smuggler. So basically a person who knows the place and know all the tricks. And uh, and I remember we arrived in Sudan at the back of a big up car dressed like a Sudanese. And, uh, and it wasn't that difficult because of the skin color and all these kind of things. So we arrived in Sudan and I stayed in Sudan for, for a month. And I really still remember Sudan and, and to the Sudanese people. It's really one of the wonderful people I have ever seen with the hospitality and uh, the way we were treated uh, and everything. The country was a Muslim, so it wasn't a big deal. Uh, even though you were a refugee, it, it wasn't that alarming. But uh, I think everything 
get, got worse when we left Sudan uh, to Libya. Uh, people crossed the desert with uh, pickup cars, and we were a group of 20 or plus, something like that. We didn't. We went to the market to buy some stuff uh, to use uh, on a trip, like a food or something like that. But basically, it's an experience that you cannot plan. You cannot go to a trip advisor and, and find out the list and all these kind of things. So you just go in and, and see how it works. And uh, one of the crazy things about being a refugee is that you know on the other side people did it. Uh, so you don't have any idea what they went through and, 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 and anything. So it's really madness around the whole thing. And uh, we spent a week on the desert. And uh, to, to give you a, a picture, it's kind of like it's a sand everywhere. And if a car broke down or anything happened, maybe you will. it would take ages to decide which kind of direction you will uh, will go, let alone anything else. And, and the smugglers are really brutal. They don't kind of like customer service or these kind of things. It's out of the question. And they kind of like beat people and do whatever they want. And you are on the mercy of them to really to take you to the final destination. So finally, the last day, I remember I've seen a bird uh, and I was kind of like this... Uh, euphoria of experience because you know that's a, it's a life maybe uh, near and the journey it's maybe over and we arrived in Libya and uh, in Libya completely everything's changed overnight. So uh, after you arrived in Libya, what kind of changes have been? I, I think uh, back home in Somalia or Sudan or any other places, oh, okay, yeah, you live there and you, you don't have it. maybe uh, things are not working well. But I think it was the first time in my experience that the skin of my color became an issue. In Somalia or in Sudan or in Tobia, you were mingling. Uh, everyone, uh, it's kind of in the same boat. And uh, people don't get discriminated because the way the way they look. And arriving in Libya, it wasn't kind of like a red flag. If you go outside, everyone will see you that you, you're not from there. And uh, the amount of disrespect uh, from the police, from the public, from the shops and it was really insane and we didn't have the papers and uh, and that really will make you a victim like people will kind of like take you and, and arrest you for no reason and ask you money to get your freedom back and maybe they will tell you hey are we going to transport you from A to B from A to C and, and they will drop you somewhere in the middle and they will tell you hey this is your final destination and you don't have any legal protection or anything you don't have an embassy you don't have anywhere to call so in that way it's kind of like very stressful because no one's defending you uh, in a way and uh, lately we have seen videos where refugees are traded uh, in an open market like uh, modern day slavery and uh, even though people are, are Muslim or anything even in the mosque if you go to the mosque to pray uh, people got discriminated so I think it, it was really one uh, one of those experiences that's horrifying and I spent there three or four months I remember what we were washing cars we were doing all the uh, different things and uh, in one point we were arrested in in Bangasi it's kind of like tw a couple of hours I think in Tripoli and we were transported all the way to the to the border 
uh, to the Sudanese border. And the next day, the same police who transport really took us back, sold us to human smugglers. Uh, so it's kind of like a cruel system that treat people like uh, like animals, I, I could say. So, so that was my experience. Then uh, finally I took a boat, and, uh, and the boat is really insane as well. It's a, a small boat. We were 24 people in that boat, and we didn't have any life jackets or anything. And uh, it's kind of like small... Uh, yeah, you can. Everyone can drive that boat because it's kind of like a free boat, and uh, they will just show you a direction on, on, on that kind of like a little uh, map that, that you have in the boat, and tell you to keep between those numbers and good luck. So you don't have any guarantee that that you will make it. So either you go back, or you end up in Malta, or or in Italy, or some people die as well. So. Thousands of people died uh, during their crossing, and it's the same story as well because it's madness. And so, even if you're afraid and all these kind of things, you just get on with it because you don't have any other choice. Because uh, it's really kind of like you can sit here in Norway and kind of like reflect the safety procedures and all these kind of things, but it's not, you don't have that kind of meeting where you kind of like analyze everything and see if it works and if it doesn't work. Yeah, that's true. It's really a touching story and I really wanted to hear that. So I'm really so glad that you're here today. Thank you. And then uh, what happened after and then, Malta? Uh, and then what happened was that uh, we, we, took, uh, we took a boat and uh, we got help from the multi-border officials and we landed in Malta uh, and then you apply for the protection and uh, I think that was the same stories. Uh, I remember arriving in Malta, it's a, a small island uh, in the Mediterranean Sea and uh, refugees arrive every year and you kind of feel that kind of like sense of that uh, that you're a stranger, that people don't want you to associate African immigrants uh, with problems and all these kind of things. They, uh, as a, in Gruber, an unfit, uncivilized. And we got uh, police numbers and Malta, uh, because of the size, we being detained, locked down uh, in these re- uh, closed reception centers. And I stayed there for three months. Uh, so basically, you were uh, sharing a room with so many people. The facilities are not good. The toilet, toilets uh, are not that uh, good. And, uh, and the military uh, will look after you. So you kind of like feel that you're a criminal. So I stayed there for three months. Do you do the interviews? And then you get released. Uh, and I think um, uh, the situation in the detention centers was really horrible as well. I think uh, we were locked down and you kind of like get that kind of association on being in a film. I remember that we used to have those days that we used to go out of the barracks and have a recreation system outside and we used to call them sunshines. Uh, and I remember that uh, doesn't matter if it's rain, if the weather's not good, we used to kind of like shout sunshine sunshine just to get to get outside so nothing to do uh we had some italian channels on the tv that we didn't understand uh, anything so some of the refugees stayed there for 18 months that's the maximum that you will stay then i finally left and then you will start living in the community and uh people get moved to reception centers outside but i had some friends and I, I kind of decided to live in the community because in that way that can uh, you kind of like 
try to live a normal life where you have a flat and you do your own things instead of living in a telt, which uh, some of the yeah. refugees had. This part of the story was really so excited to listen for me. And I wonder what was it like uh, for Malta to Norway? And I think Malta, it's, it's the same story as Libya. Discrimination was uh, really a, a normal thing. I uh, think uh, some uh, those countries where refugees arrive, sometimes you get that kind of misinformation that some people think that refugees kind of like get everything. They get cell phones, they got this, they got this. And, uh, uh, and with uh, limited resources that you have in an island, uh, people kind of like uh, concern about their lives and safety and jobs and their women because all the, the refugees will take their women and all these kind of things and uh, and I think it was like uh, employment was a kind of difficult that you don't get a proper contract that if you want to work maybe you will work without papers without equal pay uh, without having any rights at all if you get sick and anything like that uh, some of the refugees used to work in a construction so if something happened to you, they will dump you near the place you live without taking you to the hospital because they don't want to be associated with with refugees. And I think I had this incident that I applied for work, I arrived, uh, it was in a hotel, and, and I was told that we're not going to give you the job because you're black. So it, it, it's kind of really insane and... Uh, so, so uh, Malta was a place to kind of like to live uh, in a small amount of uh, time, but it, it was, they didn't have any plan for the long term to kind of like reintegrate the immigrants back to the community. There were no foreseeable future like applying for citizenship or permanent resident or anything like that. You had this right to renew your document every year. And if you kind of like try to apply for a passport, used to go in their own places you don't go to other places uh, where the Maltese people go you had your own queue, your own system so it was, everything was really made so difficult so people uh, will have really terrible time navigating through through the system and uh, and then again we had those countries who were coming from other places to kind of like help uh, because as you guys know if you arrive in maybe in a uh, in Italy or Malta, there's a rule that's called Dublin, which means that if refugees arrive in a uh, in an initial place, they don't have the right to kind of like come to Norway or other places to apply for asylum. They will send you back. Mm -hmm. And those countries like Malta or, or Greece, they don't really agree because it's an unfair system because they receive all the refugees every year. So we had other countries like the USA or Germany or France coming to take some uh, refugees. I remember they used to call it burden sharing, like human uh, lives are a burden. Uh, we are resourceful uh, human beings and uh, every country should be should feel lucky having us because uh, we can work and, uh, and do really can contribute to the society. So my initial plan was to go to the USA because the story, the melting pot, all these kind of things, all those refugees who left before me, I, I thought that it will be easier to kind of like integrate, find a job, the, the language, everything. So 
so uh, it will not be strange uh, for me to um, to be there. But it, it took very long time, and I uh, I was waiting and waiting, and uh, nothing happened. And all of a sudden, Norway came to take some uh, people. So I applied for the United Nations. I see you wrote what was the process of applying for resettlement. I think it's not that easy. Just go and apply. It's not like a, a vacancy. It's not a job. It's uh, just a coincidence. And uh, there were so many people on Malta wanting to leave. And uh, the United Nations, they don't really have an easy job like like Biking who will go somewhere because everyone wants to go and then they have to kind of like find uh, all those different criteria. So I was uh, initially as an extra case and uh, that experience is horrible as well because you go in a, in a like an interview uh, kind of thing and want to show everyone that that you're resourceful in a way. I really didn't like the idea that uh, refugees should go and beg in a way. It's a good uh, to help but again to kind of like see the resources and, uh, and give people an uh, a platform so where they can build their lives and so it really went quickly the Norwegians are very efficient so after a few I think uh, it wasn't that long uh, receiving an answer and all of a sudden I was told that you're going to Norway I knew where Norway was I, I was a big uh, football fan so I uh, really had uh, an idea of the flag and uh, but again you go to, to the internet mm -hmm. and uh, Google and find those kind of things and you find basic info like uh, uh, Norway is a big oil uh, export the, the monarchy uh, all these kind of things there's a cult and, and these kind of things so and that shows you that refuge is a really resilient you just give them a place and they will figure out if they will try and they will do their best it's not something that they go to tour of advisor and see the ratings and all these kind of things people are really want to come and start uh, living and uh, and i really arrived in the same municipality that i live today uh, because uh, something nice about relocation resettlement is that you know where you will end up instead of when you apply for asylum yourself and think move very quickly uh, you, the reception there, municipality know you're coming, all these kind of things. You, they have your information. So it's kind of like less stressful in a way. It's kind of like, so it's got much smoother in a way. Yeah. Wow, really, sorry to really values to listen. And that was so nice that you were here to tell us. And um, I was going to actually ask some questions you already answered, but I want to ask you about something that I really wonder about. How did you feel first about when you learned that you're going to go to Norway? Like when you first found out that Norway accepted you? No, no, no. Basically, I think it's kind of like winning the lottery. Like some, when, when you're a refugee and living somewhere and you don't know, you don't have any idea about your future or where you will be living next year to kind of like get that kind of confirmation that you are going to go in a country and you're going to have a permanent resident and you will be maybe staying in a place for such a long time. That will give you that kind of like, that, that kind of peacefulness to kind of like relax and start living and, and to go to school and uh, find a job and all these kind of things and, and and have a permanent home. So I was really excited and you just want to hit the ground running and take all the time that you you kind of like missed because uh, arriving in a new country, all of a sudden you have to go to school, you have to take the driving license and all these kind of things. So while the kids who grew up here uh, went to school and uh, they lost anything, you kind of like far behind and and you want to take all that back really quickly. 
So, so, so you went really to start living as soon as possible. That was my initial uh, reaction. Can we say that uh, it's kind of starting to a new life? Because, like you said, you have to learn a new language and uh, uh, you have to take everything from the beginning. So can we say that? Yeah, I think it's not plain sailing. Sometimes uh, when we read the news and all these kind of things, we kind of like see those numbers that Norway resettled so many uh, refugees and kind of think that just you place them in a home and give them the papers that everything will be okay. But uh, to tell you, it's, uh, it's not walking in the park because there's an incentive as well that uh, the government w will take you in. But again, they want taxpayers. And, and uh, the prime minister here in Norway, she said that people should make more babies. So it's not like takes uh, 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 bears that that's the idea and refugees don't really get the time to settle or uh, to kind of like work with the, uh, the trauma and everything they have they should go and find work and and try to do everything so i think when you that initial uh, month or two or something that you're really uh, all over the place but again the reality will hit you and and you have to learn the language very quickly and, and find job and get to know the surroundings because you don't really have time to daydream in a way True. So I actually wonder some uh, more things. Uh, were you aware of the resettlement uh, before you go into the road? Did you know there was something like resettlement? And where did you actually learn resettlement? And What was the motivation for you to just apply to the resettlement? No, no, I think uh, refugees, uh, as I told you, they're really resourceful people. And, and sometimes you find people who never went to school, who cannot read or write, but they know every information. So people talk to each other. And when you live in a small place like uh, Malta, people share the kind of information that they really have. And I used to work with IOM, International Organization for Migration and uh, UNHCR. And I knew those kind of in, uh, information. And, And you really had that kind of like uh, opportunity to kind of like ask for the settlement like that way I did uh, to, uh, to go to USA. I was also working as an interpreter. Uh, so I knew how things work and all these kind of things. So in a small island where refugees, I think uh, immigration, it's not something new. People pretend that's something that started today or the war in Ukraine. Uh, people were really immigrating for ages. So you kind of get all these kind of information. And back ho back in the day in Norway, people were kind of like sending letters from the USA, sponsoring uh, their family members uh, or, or loved ones uh, to go with them. So you will find those kind of information that you need to find out what opportunities that you have and, and options. And I, I told you before, applying, it's not something straightforward that you apply. The, the United Nations, the UNHCR, go through the files and see uh, the cases. And if there are people who really need more help than you, then they will go first. And then you have all these kind of crazy countries that really have their own demands. Some will show up and say, hey, we don't need any Muslims. We need only uh, Christian families. So they kind of like in a tag war to kind of like help people. But again, please, those countries that want to take refugees. So it was, uh, it's a chaotic in a way. You don't really have, you just try and see if it works. Uh, actually, I want to ask, in the interview with uh, Norway, you mentioned you wanted to see resourceful. So can you tell us more about that? And I think I can give you an, an, an example. And, and it was like some the war in Ukraine that refugees were coming all over the place. And all of a sudden, Norway or many uh, other uh, European countries were 
opening their doors wide open because all of a sudden European uh, people were really needed help and and we had this narrative that they were so civilized because they were white to say right and they were really uh, integrated in Norway and uh, there are not those less resourceful uh, refugees the African refugees maybe the Muslim refugees that maybe need more help that it's really difficult to integrate them that they and uh, and all these kind of things so for me uh, to this day it's kind of really important to show that even though you kind of come from another country and maybe have another skin color or religion all these kind of things people can contribute in a way and the only thing that you see that physical appearance it's not the only thing and the other things that Norway it's kind of like paper country if you could say which means that if you arrive they will ask you all these kind of questions like if you went to school if you have a papers all these kind of things but people really have so much experience that they cannot do Document. If you kind of like raise 10 children in Africa, that really it's a bigger experience that people need to take into the equation when they take in and everyone has something they can bring to the table where they can use. So people should be respected. Uh, even though they don't have 11 numbers, like uh, we're obsessed here in Norway. So my idea was to show them that, hey, I really I was crazy enough to take a boat. I arrived here. I don't have anything, but I promise you if that if you give me the platform that i need that i will show you that i'm capable of doing everything i can to learn the language uh, and find work be a, a good citizen and i think that i proved that before i really even the schedule that i had my idea was in 10 years in order i will be a, a norwegian citizen i will have a job and i will complete school and i think i did that uh, in in nine years so people ne sometimes need to to take that in that norway really very lucky to have so many refugees because the birth uh, rate is going down in Norway, people are getting age, and uh, the oil maybe will not be a bigger thing uh, in, the, uh, in the next decade. So to kind of like to invest in human resources and, 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 and give other people an opportunity, that will be a win-win for all of us. Well, I agree with you 100%, all the things you were saying. I actually wanted to talk more about what you have said, but uh, we are running out of time. So I want to move on to the other question, which I really wonder, what was the uh, biggest culture shock for you when you first arrived? In Norway? I mean, so there, there are really so much things that uh, I could say, but I think that my initial reaction was that the way that uh, the, the Norwegian society are really organized. I, I come from a country where people are really loud. It's really easy to get to know people. You get invited to different things and people will talk to you even though they don't have anything to talk about. Where here in Norway, like, you don't talk to strangers. If you take the bus, that you should uh, take an empty seat and it's not okay to just sit with somebody else or, or to kind of like small talk. It's out of the question. So uh, I think loneliness is the biggest problem here in Norway and many other countries. And uh, it's really good to get the, that the country, everyone have a good life and all these kind of things. I people really don't have time. The term that's called Titskilame Norway, which means that people don't have time and uh, everything should be scheduled. So if you want to meet someone, you should write it down and, and plan. So if you just show up at five o'clock in your place, people will really get shocked. It was, it was kind of difficult, I think. Uh, and if you come from another culture, you misinterpret that as well, because at the beginning, I thought... Uh, the Norwegians, maybe they don't like immigrants. You have all these kind of crazy ideas, but 
people are just polite and they don't want to bother you because they don't have anything to share with you. Uh, so I think loneliness was the biggest problem that I had uh, the first couple of years because when you want to learn a new language and a new culture, you want people around you, need friends, you need people who can show you the ropes and, and explain you how things work. But you kind of like feel that you are all uh, left alone on your own and uh, you have to find everything and that's really intimidating and uh, very difficult i can uh, imagine that <laughs> because as a stranger living in norway right now i can relate that too and uh, i want to ask one final question actually two final questions i have right now what do you think uh, about resettlement in general and uh, is there any uh, suggestions for our listeners you want to add like it might for a refugee or any random person from anywhere of the world uh, do you have some suggestions and addings for the last few minutes i think resettlement it's kind of like good thing but uh, again I, it should uh, i think the united nations are those people who are working with the refugees should really get more places in a uh, in a way because people are standing in queues and uh, in some refugee camps refugees are born in those camps and maybe they stay there for such a long time without getting any help so maybe in a smoother way would have been uh, ideal to kind of like help uh, their refugees and something else that information i think uh, in uh, iom uh, have some sessions when the refugees will arrive but maybe that information is not good enough because refugees sometimes are not prepared for the new life okay uh, they read uh, all of those countries that they will be going but it really takes time so to kind of like work uh, with that perception of, of how life will be okay you arrive in the richest country on earth norway and when you go to the street you don't see any riches uh, everyone it's uh, uh, cleaning their own place and all these kind of things so uh, things are not that easy and to get like the communities and other people get involved and to help them to help the refugees uh, integrate to the society and to uh, to really get help that's what you need and uh, uh, because it's really Norway it's very or m many other countries are really advanced so when you if you were living in a refugee camp for such a long time it's kind of like very difficult to kind of like follow the kids and then do everything and uh, go back to school and all these kind of these kind of things and uh, And other things that uh, will take in how many people. And uh, sometimes resettlement, it's kind of like, it's not the first priority because uh, during the war in uh, Ukraine, many refugees were sitting uh, and they should wait because there were other people who were coming in first. And some countries even uh, use uh, some of those numbers if many refugees arrive. So if all of a sudden many refugees arrive in Norway to apply uh, asylum, that it might reduce the numbers and all these kind of things. So a safer passage and uh, a more kind of like easier way to kind of like apply and uh, so people don't need to risk their lives like they're like the way I did and many people did. Uh, some people question why are people crazy to risk their lives but when you don't have any other corridor um, that's the only solution you have. So yeah, that's my take. Thank you for that. Uh, for the closing part of the episode, do you have some words to say goodbye? We can 
are ready to hear. No, no, basically, I'm really glad that I got invite, uh, invited. And it's a great idea that sometimes when I take part in different sessions and, and, and there are people who never went, uh, who never experienced war or maybe re went and study and all these kind of things who really have all these kind of ideas how refugees should be taking. And so to have that kind of experience of people who have been through and done it, uh, it's really uh, kind of convincing and uh, it's a good way to kind of like to, to reflect on the experience and how how we can make it much easier for the refugees. So I'm really glad that uh, you thought about that and you invited me. And uh, it was a pleasure sharing my experience with you. Of course, that was my pleasure to have you as a guest. I really thank you so much for attending. Thank you as well. You're welcome. It means really a lot having you in this podcast and uh, to all those listeners who came all this way with us. Thank you all. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I want to say see you at the next and last episode of our podcast which will be discussing what is the future of resettlement and also an overall conversation about our topic resettlement and I want to end my episode with saying stay safe and see you soon dear all. <laughs>